Hey everyone, it's Matt. And this is Lucas. And this is Thanks for Playing. The podcast where we break down the most iconic video games the world has to offer. Oh! I was considering trying to uh, lean in a bit more into something more thematic for our uh, episode today, but I kind of didn't, didn't get myself enough. Uh, That's a great I, idea. I didn't think I could pull it off. I, I think I, uh, I think you should probably try and like evoke the game that we're reviewing in the future with your Yelp. So you probably could have yeah. done like a little bit more of a guttural Kratos. Yeah, a little more of a... Ah! Ah. <laughs> <laughs> or just, or just, uh, just scream. Spartan mode. Yes, just Spartan Rage mode. Exactly, exactly. One of three. Were there more? Were there more than one? The more than three Spartan Rages? Did I only find three, or were there just three? I think it was only three. Uh, there okay. were only three. Yeah, that's what I thought. But um, yeah, everyone, uh, we got a hot, hot episode for you today, straight off the press. Um, God of War Ragnarok, which of course only just recently released. Before we get into all that, um, we got another special guest with us today. Hi, Let. How's it going? Hey, what's up, guys? It's going super good. Super good. Thanks for asking. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, yeah very excited. excited to have you Thanks on. for joining. Um, yeah. Real quick, Highlight, um, obviously, we've already kind of done a little game reveal here, but um, I know you're you're a huge God of War fan, and you did, um, as I understand, your, your master's thesis on revolving around God of War. So I was wondering if you could kind of talk about that a little bit really quickly. Yeah, for sure. Um, I know the last time I was here, I threw the God of War series on my Mount Rushmore because it's hard to pick just one. Um, it's funny, dude. Like when God of War first came out in freshman year, I was kind of a hater. I was sipping the hater raid. I was like, this game's freaking overhyped. Like it can't be that good. Um, you know, back in its humble PS2 era or like introductions. And I don't know how we got it. I think my brother convinced my parents to somehow buy an M-rated game as a middle schooler. And they thought that was a brilliant idea. So we wound up getting it. I played it for the first time, you know, in high school. I think when around God of War 2 came out. And I fell in love. Like, I like the aggro Greek mythology narrative. I was a teenage boy. It was like the perfect formula. And I think you guys talked about that a little bit in the first God of War review you did. Um, so I was always really interested in it. And then... As I was getting through school and working on my English degree, originally I was like super into Shakespeare, but I had a professor that was really like, everything's kind of narrative. Like all everything we're learning with literature used to be pop culture and used to be super popular. So I started thinking of like the things I was consuming for fun in a more critical way. And in grad school, I was starting to think about like, you know, I think I want to write about video games. I love gaming. I love gaming narratives. I like the ways games force us to think about story because of their interactivity and agency. So I was God of War three came out not that long before and I was playing it. I just had like that random shower thought of this is kind of funny. Kratos hates the fucking gods and wants to rage wage war <laughs> and like be free of their control. But he's an avatar of a video game and like avatar means like, you know, the reincarnation of a God or, or something like that. Like, on earth controlled by God. So it's like, cool. I'm a God controlling a person that wants oh. to kill the gods. Yeah. Shower moment, stoner moment, whatever the fuck you want to call it. But it hit me like a, <laughs> like a freaking brick. Well, I just finally understand why they call avatar the last airbender, why it's called the avatar. Oh, oh really? I'm glad you dropped the knowledge. Avatar, <laughs> I always thought avatar was just like a very generic term for like something that's living through something else. Like in James Cameron's avatar, like oh, controlling yeah. like, like a, 
like another body, like Avatar, basically, right? But yeah. Anyways, continue. <laughs> well, the, the the more like religious understanding of Avatar from like I think Hindu is um is it's a god's form, like bodily form on Earth. Right. So when I had that thought, I was like, wow, there's a lot to think about with what agency means, what identity means, things like that. And since I was playing God of War, and that's what gave me my shower thought, I wound up rolling with it. So I had really awesome faculty that were like, hey, you should like pursue this a little bit more and I wound up building a conference presentation out of it and I never kind of got away from that thought that I wound up writing a thesis chapter on God of War 3 and how the idea of like authorship and identity is like complicatedly tied together uh, when we're working with a game as a narrative as opposed to other types of narrative so since then yeah. I was an uber fan when I played God of War 3 like it was super bittersweet because I thought that was going to be the end of the series and then Lo and behold, it got rebooted. It was the same protagonist. Um, God of War 1 blew my mind like when it came out because I was just so attached to that story. And I've just been a big fan ever since high school yeah. um, for personal Very reasons cool. and academic professional reasons. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a good journey um, with everything. And I, honestly, a really great preamble to what we're going to be talking about so much because this game, I think, we were talking about it before we hit record. Uh, like This is probably the most the biggest story in a game that we've done for the pod. I, I really can't think of anything that had just sheer, the sheer volume of like story beats. Um, there's, there's a lot of distinctions we got to make. I think up front, you know, there's uh, lore, you know, a lot of games that we play have lore. They have really big worlds. Uh, something like cyberpunk or Elden ring really comes to mind, you know, kingdom hearts, tons of lore, right? Tons of like things that to read up on and become interested in. But in terms of like the things that happen in this game, there are a lot of, there's just a lot of events, uh, a lot of turning points, a lot of characters, um, and you know, all fully acted basically all the way through like a play. Um, so, in terms of story beats and volume, this is probably our biggest um, in any podcast. You know, I think it's a 20-hour game, 20 to 25 hours, depending on how long it takes you for the main story. Took me 20 hours for the main story. Um, I did a little bit of side quests in there, but really not not too many. Um, and highlight, you know, I know that this is going to be great to have you on cause you did like all the post game content as well. Um, and Matt, I know that you, I don't think you did any side quests at all. I think you just kind of blasted through it. Uh, so this is going to be interesting to have us all three on it. I see highlight Why, just totally you roll your roll, eyes right rolling there, his highlight. eyes, just a big eye roll. Well, we don't have to get contentious yet if we can remain calm about <laughs> Because this will get contentious. I just, it will. You know, people, we get, you know, we got a guy on here that did some thesis work with God of War. You know, Hyalette loves God of War. And uh, spoiler alert, I don't think Matt does. So we can get into it. We can get into it. Yes, and we will get into it. But um, in case it wasn't obvious enough already, well, really quickly, everyone, before we, you know, jump into the rest of this here, as always, a friendly reminder. Um, if you want to yell at me after I give my opinions on this game, you can introduce an email at thanksforplayingpod at gmail.com. You can also come and directly attack me um, in our Discord. And you can find the link to our Discord at thanksforplaying.live or you can go to any of our social media handles um, at TFP Podcasts. That's TFP Podcasts with an S at the end. Uh, if you go into the link tree on there, you'll find the link to our Discord. Um, come and hang out. It's a good time. And uh, I look forward to the hate DMs. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so excited. But, this is why um, I love Matt. This is why I love you, man. You just really wear, you just wear <laughs> it on the sleeve, dude. It's the best. I, I've learned to really embrace it. Like when I first, when we, when we first did Super Metroid, I was blown away. I felt betrayed. Like I remember feeling like my blood boil. I was mad. I called, I called producer Sam. 
like immediately and I was like, dude, <laughs> I'm gonna send you this episode to, to master, but you're you're gonna fucking hate it. I fucking hate it. I wanna kill Matt. And then now I'm just like, this is awesome. This is hilarious. I love it. Uh it's content, yeah. baby. Yeah. Content. <laughs> it's ultimately it's um, just it's good content. It's good content, <laughs> but I, I do believe these things. Um all right. Uh today we are talking about the number one. Um, really just kind of all-encompassing uh, mythology simulator, God of War Ragnarok. That's right, Duh. that's right. The 2022 third-person, highly anticipated action-adventure game, uh, 10 out of 10 from IGN, a 5 out of 5 from EGM, a 9 out of 10 from GameSpot, 94 out of 100 on Metacritic, Metacritic, one of the most highly anticipated games of the last four years since God of War 2018 came out. Um, the, you know, it's swooping in here at the end of 2022 to steal Game of the Year away from Elden Ring. And uh, we're here to decide if we're going to allow it to. That's, that's what this episode this There's a lot going on with this episode. And I think that uh, we have a lot to debate. Um Yes. Are, do do we want to go with the synopsis at first, or are we just going to give I, I the took overview? I the time to write yeah. one up. Okay, let just me, I know it's going to be short. Synopsis. Let's let's give the yeah. premise. Yeah. So, taking place several years after the conclusion of the last game, God of War twenty eighteen, the story follows Kratos, Atreus, and their merry band of vigilantes, while enduring Fimble Winter. Kratos, Atreus, and Mimir are visited by none other than Thor, the god of thunder, and Odinson. The All or Odin Odinson, I guess I don't know the full name. The All Father of the Realms. After a brief confrontation, Kratos, Atreus, and Emir resolve to begin a journey to find the lost Greek, no, excuse me, the lost Norse god of war, Tyr, to defy fate and to prevent Ragnarok. Okay. There we go. There we go. Got it. Awesome. Um, yeah. So, you know, basically what you got here for those of you that, you know, haven't really been seeing too much gameplay about God of War, um, you know, third person action game, very basically the, the same sort of combat, although highly improved from God of War 2018, very cinematic. The whole video game is one shot. It's one continuous sort of motion. It's, you know, not encumbered by loading screens. It doesn't fade to black and then show you a quick time thing. The whole game is basically playing through one whole cutscene. So very similar to God of War 2018, um, kind of more of the same and highly improved in this version of the game. Um, you know, like I said, I think so much of what we're going to be talking about here is is so much story. Um, from the very moment of the game, I mean, from the the, it's like the beginning menu of the game is uh, is part of the story. It's diegetic, right? Like when you hit new game, you're already in the game, right? It's not like you're in a menu. You are diegetically within the world already, all the way up until the credits actually play over like a world, like diegetically in the game, which is really interesting too. So you're never really outside of it. Um, so that's that's one thing I want to talk about too, um, and. I, I guess just we could start with some initial thoughts on this sort of thing, because I think we all understand sort of the God of War kind of vibe or like what this game is going to be. So we didn't have any like crazy, weird expectations going into this game. Um, and it, like I said, more of the same, but improved. But let's start with uh, let's start with Hyalette with some initial thoughts on this video game. Um, I will admit at first I was a little afraid it wasn't going to be super great just because 2018 came out. It, I was really surprised that 
Kratos was back and it completely redesigned everything. And I really liked the first one. Um, as like that intimate look, I like Kratos as a character, how far he came away from Greece, all that jazz. But once I got into this game and the story started rolling, I absolutely wound up loving it. Um, I agree, like you mentioned, the combat was redesigned, but it's still the same. I think everything that went against God of War and all the fair critiques against that game, I think there was a lot of intention to improve those elements, especially the combat and things like that, which I know we'll get into. Um, but overall, I really love the game. I really got into the story. I'm a mythology nerd in general too, so that obviously works with my bias right. with how much I do like the game. And overall for me, because I've stuck with this series since game one, overall, like I really wanted a good send off because the developers were like, this is it for Kratos. Like there's going to be no more God of War games set in like this, like focus and all that jazz. So for I, me I personally, that, by the way, I do too. And we can get into that a little bit later, <laughs> but I think today for, as it stands, I think it was a, I could not have asked for a better conclusion to everything I've like grown up with, with this series. So I loved it a lot. As All long right. as it keeps making the money, it's never going to conclude. <laughs> Matt, <laughs> we'll get into Matt, that. Yeah. I could tell you, you got a lot on your mind for the initial thoughts and I want to hear it. But yeah, as far as my first impressions of the game, I actually have a lot of good to say. Um, surprisingly, contrary to how we've kind of prefaced this so far, um, I think this game starts incredibly strong and it starts even before the game truly begins. I, I think one of the things that impressed me the most about this game was just how many accessibility options there were. Um, yeah, I, I think in general right now, gaming's in a good, getting towards a good space where accessibility is really accounted for, whether that's through more customizable controllers um, or through more. Um, more customizations in the game for maybe some that might be colorblind or maybe um, have some be hearing impaired in some capacity, things like that. So seeing, you know, Ragnarok, like one of the first things it asked you about was like, hey, are these settings good for you? Like, do you want the font bigger? Like all that stuff I think is so important. And um, anything that can make, you know, a game more inclusive from that standpoint is just, you know, gets really high marks for me because I think gaming should be for everyone. So that's awesome. Uh, and then, I mean, Right off the bat, like, you know, it opens very intensely with like the Freya, the Freya chase scene, basically, you know, there's like within 30 minutes, like your best pal, your, your dog's dead. You know, I don't know why they did that. <laughs> um, and then you're fighting off a bear that turns out to be Atreus. And then you fight off this crazy battle with Thor. And the game does like a really cool little kind of fourth wall break in a way where, you know, you're, you're having this fight to Thor, you kind of you you do die in a sense for a little bit and then you know the game goes to like the the death screen basically and I, it had to be when i got to that i thought oh i guess i didn't yeah me too that like, was a hard great during this quick time event and then you're you know you're effectively dead in the game and it goes to the death screen and i'm like oh why can't i scroll through like any of this or i want to restart and then it just you hear the echo thor's like no i decide when we're done and he like you know like electrocutes you back to life basically yeah um and i was just so so impressed with that and um yeah i mean just first first impressions is like just yeah very very strong very very strong okay really cool awesome yeah i mean i i feel the same way about first impressions i mean i feel like the first couple hours of this game are incredible 
Um, especially with like, they really introduce you to all the improvements from God of War 2018 very quickly, right? Climbing is done very, very quickly. Um, you know, there's returning characters that come in very aggressively. Uh, you meet Odin for the first time, you meet Thor for the first time. And I think there there is also these things about God of War that uh, I want to get into more when we definitely hit like story and world in this episode. But there's certain things like you can't see this kind of interpretation of Thor without understanding that it's different from the current pop culture interpretation of Thor. And there was like a, a ton of memes about like this Thor being way cooler than the Marvel Thor. The Marvel Thor is like, you know, this Thor is like, th that's the whole conversation with this Thor is like, it's a really different version of what we know as Thor in pop culture and therefore is like fresh, new, really cool. So th I think that there's this narrative about this God of War game um, in terms of like the improvements that have been made, better combat, more options, um, you know, more weapons and stuff that, you know, a lot of what is cool about this game to me is that it's improvements or like different interpretations of what we in pop culture understand currently about certain characters. So it's sort of like it's coming from predetermined destination and then improving upon it instead of in a vacuum kind of being its own thing, which I think is really interesting. Um, that's not a criticism. That's just like where the game is coming from, right? Because you you just quite literally can't view this Thor without viewing the other Thor. Um, and I think you can't feel that the climbing in this game is a lot better without understanding that the climbing was really slow in the first game, right? Or like um, uh, other things, you know, uh, certain things about the fighting and the combat are just very different. The fact that you can like, We'll get into it more in game design, but dropping from a high ledge and, and hitting people um, and slamming on them, you know, it's an improvement. It's coming from, it's it's has a relative location and it's going to a different destination rather than just being the way it is first. But before we get into game design, um, I did want to go through uh, story and world. So this is a brand new section. Um, now, for those of you that have been listening to Thanks for Playing for a while, uh, We've always talked about how we we don't have a segment on this podcast in our format uh, to specifically talk about, you know, story. And the interesting thing is, you know, not every video game actually does have a narrative. Um, a lot of video games out there are actually non-narrative um, and are more based on sort of world or setting. So what we've done is created this section um, for story and world. And basically it's going to be now moving forward, the TFP format for where we talk about um, the actual story beats that occur within the video games that we play, but also the general lore, uh, the setting, and uh, how it made us feel and, and how we like it. So Hyalet is definitely the lore master on this call. Uh, so I just want to sort of call that out first. Um, in terms of the story and world, um, we could just, we can get into it. Uh, Matt, you want to go first? You want me to go first? I saw you mute yourself. So you want to go first or what? <laughs> uh, it's good. I'll, um, I mean... <laughs> I, I can go first on my general thoughts, um, I guess. I was kind of going to let Highlight really... I think Highlight probably has a lot more to say than I do. But um, I'll give my my intro thoughts here that we can kind of build off of that. But I... So I think the best part of this game, story-wise, gameplay-wise, everything, is the first two hours of the game. I think once you get through that opening sequence, and I think once... Um, once the fight with Thor is done, I think this game just starts going pretty much consistently downhill. Um, particularly for me with everything, but particularly with the story. 
I think the story is poorly paced. I think poorly paced, excuse me. I think there's um, some pretty glaring plot holes that just kind of like I can't make sense of in my head and highlight maybe I'm open to it being maybe I just wasn't paying enough attention and maybe I didn't miss something that was clearly explained. I am open to that. I will I will preface that because I can appreciate my attention span isn't great. <laughs> it's TikTok, you know, TikTok's fucked me up. Um, <laughs> but I yeah, just very poorly explained a lot of plot holes. I think some of the biggest like things that frustrate me are just kind of revolving around the motivation to even do Ragnarok and the motivation of to gather all these realms, um, you know, and, and kind of throughout the games and everything you're, you're very, or throughout this game and throughout even the previous game as well, you know, you're always just kind of, uh, fed. Oh, Odin's dog shit. Like these Norse gods, they're awful. Like they're all terrible people. But it's other than maybe Mimir, right? And then secondhand through what you hear from him and then what you hear from uh, Freya, you don't really see it. You know, you, you don't really get it, I think, painted very clearly to you what Odin's doing that is so I bad. Hard, hard agree. Um, I, I hard agree on this. I'm going to need highlight <laughs> to defend this one because that one is yeah. messing with me a lot. Because, um, you know, I can appreciate all these we find in the first game, you know, we find Mimir in a tree and he's just stuck in a tree. Um, but let's like back that up for a minute. Everything that we're told negative about Odin really comes from Mimir pretty much. And clearly Mimir did something wrong to get stuck in a tree. So it's just like one biased viewpoint. And obviously, you know, I can appreciate that Freya's marriage was one of um, politics, basically, from what I get. So obviously, that's kind of going to be doomed from the start. Um, but again, that's just like, those are just two, like, very clearly biased people against Odin that would obviously have a very clear grudge against Odin and against, you know, everyone in Asgard, basically. Because um, as far as I can tell, Great. like, there's not a lot that Odin has done that. I mean, obviously what he did in Mimir is terrible. Like I'm not underplaying that, but like on a very macro level within this universe, there's not a lot that he's done that is very bad. And even in the moments of the game, like he gives every, he, he, his biggest sin is probably killing his son Thor. But outside of that and, and Brock and Brock, but outside of that, he's actually a pretty reasonable dude, I think. And he doesn't really, you know, there's multiple points in the story where he does kind of offer to at the very beginning peacefully in the very beginning. The most, I didn't, uh, God. Yeah. I didn't Kratos should have just taken the offer. Yeah. He gave a very clear offer like, Hey, you know, quit looking for tear. You know, I'll keep Frey off your back. Don't worry about it. You know, I'll, you can even keep, you can keep Mimir. Like I'll, I'll even let that one slide. And then for no reason, really, you know, <laughs> Kratos is just like Kratos and says no without any like real justifiable reason. Um, and then even later in the game, as things go on, you know, once, once um, like uh, Atreus slash Loki starts going to Asgard and starts working with him, he treats by all accounts, like he treats him very well. And, you know, something that really stood out to me too, was when you first get to Asgard and you're first like being kind of toured around by Odin um, you know, it, 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 at, at first what I thought was like, this is like a propaganda tour, right? 
Like he's trying to show, oh, look how great everything is in Asgard. Look how kind of a god I am. And I expected them to like later in the game come back to that and show how it's all a sham. But they never really do that. <laughs> they never really come back to show like these like all these like these people's lives are actually terrible and I'm a terrible god. Like barring um him letting the Midgardians that he saved stay outside to kind of deter them, deter Kratos and all of them from attacking. Like he doesn't really do anything bad with his people from what I can tell. And frankly, like he very clearly tries to avoid Ragnarok, you know? So like, I don't think like he was planning this whole entire time. Like these mid guardians are going to be right here. So in 30 years, when Kratos comes from my ass, I'm fucking ready, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And again, multiple, like he tries to resolve things peacefully, even at the very end of the game, like he stops the fighting. He's like, look loki i just want the knowledge like let's just see what's cracking in that portal <laughs> like he, he's very there's multiple points where he's like i don't want to fight i genuinely just want knowledge i want to improve things and i know this is probably like maybe a controversial take to like the masses but i don't think odin's any worse of a person than kratos dang conclusion to matt's thoughts on story is that is that everything? Okay, yeah. For now, uh, yeah. Oh, guess... and the plot hole. Uh, one more thing. <laughs> Tyr being Odin was so fucking stupid. <laughs> um, and that makes zero sense. You're telling me for like the days at a time where Loki was in Asgard or whatever, no one noticed Tyr was missing? No, no way. No okay, way. okay. I got <laughs> that, that visibly upset highlight, I could tell. But okay, I got... I, I'll just start with, with my thoughts on the story. They're a little bit more tame, I think. I, I think my big problem is that like and in terms of antagonists like heroes and villains we lose very early on i'm lost at like why odin's a villain i mean clearly there's a deal that odin tries to make with kratos that kratos doesn't take and in many ways kratos is the initiator of the conflict within this story which i find to be from a hero antagonist protagonist antagonist perspective i find that to be a problem right it it finds it makes me have a hard time rooting for Kratos because there is no there there is almost no reason for all the conflict that happened within the story. Second, when you learn that Odin or it's it's like the game's trying to do the like the complex villain thing where hey the villain's maybe not such a bad guy and it's all just a matter of perspective. The game does that with Odin and at a certain point in the middle of the game you're really not quite sure who the bad guy is. There's not really an antagonist in the story and you're kind of moving through and it's just Freya's anger and Mimir's grudge, Mimir and Freya's grudge that's just pushing and manipulating Kratos into kind of fulfilling this thing on top of a prophecy that exists that may or may not be something that we have to follow. Um, that is sort of just this weird hodgepodge of like motivations within the story that I really find cumbersome to kind of get through. And second of all, uh, like, the whole prophecy thing, it's just such a writing problem. It's just a hole that you're stuck in because it's just a 50-50 binary thing. The prophecy that we see within the story um, and just for the audience, I mean, the prophecy is that basically there's characters in the story that write these or draw these prophecies that Atreus and Kratos, it really informs their decision making within the story. And one of the prophecies that Atreus sees is that Kratos will die, right? So... He either dies or he doesn't, right? It's a very binary outcome for the plots of the story. And then you see a prophecy at the very end of the story 
that is like the opposite. It's actually Kratos becoming king. So it's almost like this, like one of them wasn't true, which means that prophecies don't have to be followed. But then that also invalidates the final prophecy that you see. So I just have a problem with the prophecy thing as a writing tool in general, because I just feel like you can't you can't win and create an interesting story with that sort of thing. So lack of a villain, um, the mechanics of a prophecy for me just don't really work. Um, and the fact that Kratos is actually Kratos and all your quote allies are actually the initiators of conflict throughout the whole story. Um, I don't know if that's supposed to be some sort of mind fuck or make me supposed to like be confused. I mean, it's certainly I'm confused, but uh, I mean, confused in like a sense of who's the good guy, who's the bad guy. But Hylet, you may unmute. By the way, you could have stayed unmuted and just screamed at us the whole time. No, no. I am a calm and rational person. <laughs> he was writing down every counter argument like a debate. No, <laughs> no. I'm going to throw out like, I think those are valid takes. Because you boys are smart. You're gamers. Goddamn like, right. <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to agree with every single one of those takes. Well, that's why we're um, here. Okay, so the first one with um, Odin as Tyr, they mentioned multiple times he goes into a broom closet like in between the action. Maybe not be the best out, but it is explained that he that uses is, a, that is a little bit of a cop out, back That feels really fucking lame. But he's the all-father. He can do whatever he wants. He's the king of the gods. So there's that. For me, Odin actually worked for me. Um, mostly because, and this is where I think me being a lifelong like fan of God of War and seeing kind of like the different parallels set up in the two eras those that like play God of War 3 and went through the conclusion of the Greek era, like playing as Kratos, there is just that intrinsic understanding when we get to the end that no God does things for themselves for the right reasons. So even with Odin coming forth and being like, hey, I want to avoid conflict. Hey, like, let's forget about Ragnarok. You guys can live. Like, we don't have to keep Frey on you. It's not because he wants all the realms to exist in peace. To me, it was all an act of self-preservation. And typically in any story, a character out for themselves starts becoming more and more a villain. So I think from there, even at the beginning, walking in with the knowledge of like, the only gods Kratos works with are the ones that manipulate and mess around with everybody's everything. From so there, it's like, has okay. a mistrust of gods, which is why he doesn't 100%. Like from the first game, God of War 1 to the spinoffs, God of War 2, 3, Ascension. And I think even the first one, he's always, there's always been a mistrust. God of War 3, the last conclusion in the series until it was rebooted, was because he had enough of the gods manipulating everything for you know, their own self-interest and using him as a pawn. So here I got a lot of echoes of Odin pretty much acting like Zeus in a lot of ways. I'm acting my own self-interest. I want you out of the picture. You're not taking me down. So I think because I walked in with that, I was able to buy Odin as a pretty good villain. And I'm going to give props to the voice actor. I think the voice actor did a really good job sounding authentic but he also kind of had an air of like inauthenticity at the same time like he kind of sounded like odin yeah like yeah, he had he like great. used charisma salesman but i still wanted to buy that car yeah. you know so i think like the way he was also played by the actor um 
as well as like these themes I'm already walking in with. I was able to buy Odin as a villain for the sake of the story because, you know, for nine games or the eight games before this, it was don't trust the gods. They're all in for themselves. And I don't disagree that Kratos falls in that camp too. He's so desperately trying to not relive the past and make the same mistakes um, with himself or his son. So there's an argument to be made there too. Like he's consistent with him being kind of in a self-preservation thing. But I think thematically Odin fit as a villain for me. Okay. And you felt that he and was- And also I'm going to throw this out there. He also wasn't beyond imprisoning someone and torturing them for years. Like that shit the Greek gods did with, I think Prometheus in the second game, you know, the dude that was changed to a rock for soon, the primordial fire and mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. I remember, I think there was, it was revealed, I don't remember if it was the first game or the second game, like he ordered Thor to commit genocide against the giants. Yeah. I, I so, think this is there, there, he's just, done bad things even yeah. from a like even from a how many account. night elves did we kill someone remind me like how many <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean atreus and atreus um, it's nobody's nobody's really innocent in the god of war story not even kratos or atreus and that's kind of and like i completely agree with that and i and if, i i appreciate that i think my my issue is kind of what i brought up earlier is like so much because there's like a history of the story that you have to kind of catch up on you as the viewer that's played or you as the gamer that's played all these games yeah. previously ha have like a different informed perspective than the general audience. I think that the majority of people playing this game don't know what you know. And like, I know that this is a too. sequel. Yeah. I know like it's a, it's a direct sequel to a 2018 game, but like I played the 2018 game this year and I played this game and I thought that Kratos was being an idiot for saying no to Odin. Right. And I know like the mistrust of God's thing. There's all these things about Kratos character, his past that informs him saying no. But I think for the majority of audience that may fail for them as it did fail for me and Matt, that's like sort of the tricky thing that you're on is like you're the story has to be informed by the past of a character, but you can't, I, I just feel like you can't rely on like everybody knowing what the character has been through to inform that decision and to in the present it just feels like a stupid decision because it, it just kind of is it's like dude you're thimble winter you're getting attacked by this lady like your your son's there your wolf died and you're about to just fight the god of thunder in front of your son like odin could have easily just killed atreus right there and kratos they could have just ruined kratos life like instantaneously and they just chose not to and like then kratos still has like the audacity to just go like I don't know. I don't even, I forget what exactly what happened right after that, but just like, I don't know. just, that, that part just failed for me. It just failed for me a lot. Yeah. And I mean, just to blow it on that too, like the game, I think this game is very, or well, this one and the 2018 one is very strongly pushed and like kind of just in the zeitgeist as like a starting off point for God of War. Um, yeah. I think that's kind of like the general vibe around it is that you have, didn't need to play the other games and, I think largely too with how the original, not original, the 2018 God of War played, you know, it's set up that like, oh, you don't need to worry about the other games really. Like this is its own self-contained story. Um, so obviously like, I don't know if there is any stat on here on this, but I'd be more than willing to bet that there's more newcomers to that started on God of War 2018 and are playing God of War Ragnarok than there are people that played all the original games as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, Ultimately, it's like, I, I don't hate, like, 
it's not like I'm out here saying like Odin was done wrong. I think he was a great like bad guy, right? No. I just I think it was like unclear in certain points whether what he was doing was really wrong. I, I understand he had actions that were not great in the past. And he admits them to Atreus, like, hey, like I made some mistakes. Everybody made some mistakes, but actually what I'm trying to do here is justify my mistakes by breaking free of this like kind of destiny that we're we're destined for as gods, you know? I'm trying to find answers. And I think that was a noble pursuit. I actually like, you know, it's kind of like the villain was right or the empire did nothing wrong, right? It's just like, <laughs> hey, like this isn't a bad pursuit that Odin has. And like, he's not the one that like blew the horn and like sent war to the doorstep, right? Like, yeah. I'm just like, I, I just have trouble as, an, as a general audience member who's a casual God of War fan who liked the previous game, like accepting that Kratos brought war to this land. And then like, at the end, they're like, oh, Odin put the Midgardians in front of the wall, knowing that they would be just cannon fodder for us. Isn't he a piece of shit? And it's like, dog, Kratos blew the horn. He's the piece of, like, I was confused by that moment where, like, everything kind of turned. I was like, how are they not just, like, so upset at Kratos right now? They're upset at Odin for, like, being kind of, I mean, being shitty, being a horrible person, but, like, being strategic in the way that he's like kind of manipulating emotions, but like war came to his doorstep because our protagonist brought the war to his doorstep. That's like, I don't know. It's a tough pill to swallow. I think something I want to add to on what you're saying earlier, Lucas, about how Odin talks about how he learns from his mistakes. It's very interesting that granted while he's in the character of Tyr, you know, when he's adventuring with you through like, um, Vanna or Alfheim, that's the, that's the elf world, right? Alpha. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, when they're like going around through, the Temple of Light. Yeah, yeah. he and he kind of talks about how, you know, you are truly like everywhere you guys go, you just bring chaos. Like you're truly just like arbiters of violence, you know? Um, and kind of like recontextualizing that once you do find out that that's actually Odin with you, it kind of almost makes you kind of think that you know, Odin is learning from his mistakes and learning how awful he may have been in the past and trying to improve upon that, you know? So that's my takeaway from that. Um, and I want to add as well that how they treated Ragnarok at the end of the game, so whack. Like, rag, like the personified the, Ragnarok. The, pers the, per the, the, yeah, the actual, like, personified Ragnarok. The fact that they hyped that game up, or... The hyped Ragnarok up the whole game. The game is literally called God of War Ragnarok. And then it finally arrives. We don't even see it do shit. We literally blow the horn. It arrives. Kratos is like, oh no, Ragnarok's here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Eric Andre meme when like Eric shoots someone. And he's like, who shot him? Yeah, who you know? could have done this? Kind <laughs> who could have done this? It, it is just really... Yeah, I just think it's really, really bad storytelling honestly you know it's very lame to build something up like that and then the second it shows up literally up until you get to asgard we're like fuck yeah ragnarok let's get it wartime baby like that's how all the characters are and then they get there and they they see like civilians which anyone could have guessed that would happen look like, <laughs> war is bad <laughs> what do we got odin <laughs> like, <laughs> like, wait, very... <laughs> what's your counter what's your counter for that one you got to answer to that one a little bit so actually, I'm going to agree a little bit 
Because the way they were talking about Ragnarok is this cataclysmic event. And then at the end, when they're like, oh, Ragnarok's here, I was like, wait, Ragnarok's the monster now? Like, I thought Ragnarok yeah. was the war. So yeah, I'll, I was I'll, a little confused. <laughs> I'll give it that. Um, but, and like the whole like war is bad thing. I'm going to go back. I didn't realize this was a pro Odin podcast walking in. And if I knew that, okay, I'm this is, I'm not, this, I'm not, so. uh, but, I'm, but like, I'm of the empire. The empire did nothing wrong is, is more the perspective okay. that I'd like to take here. Okay. Crap. I lost my train of thought boys. This, <laughs> Sorry. This continue, continue. You're good. You're good. Um, I will admit the events leading up weren't as epic as I would have hoped. Cause I'm not going to lie. When, when we sounded like when Cradles blows a horn, I low key like expected like a ton of Aesir fighting like Fields of Pelennor like style like Lord of the Rings style shit, and then we were just like platforming to like the wall, and then the civilians were there, and then we go straight to Odin. So I'll admit yeah. like that that pacing was really freaking weird to me when I thought Ragnarok was hyped up as like this giant event and not a random monster popping out of nowhere. You know, it would have been great for that is if. Um I let, have you played Kingdom Hearts 2 by chance? Unfortunately, I'm going to yeah. guess no. Oh, you have? Yeah. I, I played all the Kingdom Hearts. and The only one I... Well, not all. I played one, two, and a couple of the spinoffs. And then I tried 10 hours into three, and I was tapped out because I couldn't do it anymore. That's fair. Wow. Um, I did not know... Matt, th this, is a, this is a big this moment is for you. This is big news for me. Yeah. But anyways, so my original point, I think what would have been great for Ragnarok, like when you do oh, step through into Asgard... About, I know what you're talking about. If they did something like the Thousand Heartless battle. That's what I expected, bro. No that lie. I was sick. a little let down. Like, yeah. just fighting. Because I think the way it was hyped, I thought we would be fighting alongside Light Elves, Dark Elves. Yeah. Like, your we allies. Fought, like we that. fought like, bigger hordes on our way to, like, do random quests in, like, Alfheim, you know? Like, there yeah. was more to fights there than there were. Yeah. When literally we're on the, the doorstep of war. And then it was really weird, too. They did a big thing when you're initially platforming to get to the wall before you fight Thor where they're like, Oh shit, the Valkyrie queen's here. We're going to, we're going to have to do something about that. And then, like, the, it's never brought up again. The rest of the game, at least in the main story. I think that's a, like after yeah, that's actually content. one of my nitpicks later on. Should, should yeah, have given Kratos a keyblade. Should have given Kratos a keyblade. No, yeah, let's, yeah, okay, let's, let's not ruin it guys. <laughs> <laughs> Could have been the fourth weapon. But, <laughs> Yeah, the the final act is just very, very lame to me. I, um, and how sorry. quickly Throod turns from like, oh, I, I guess I got to fight my, my grandpa now. It's just like such a quick turnaround. It makes no sense. I, I actually, um, I do want to challenge. I did like the events of the, of like, I didn't, I wasn't a big fan of like the motivations behind what was going on with it. And I was a little confused by like whose side we were taking and, how fast like Sif and Throod actually switch sides and Thor switch sides. Like all that was kind of lame to me, but I actually mechanically really enjoyed the final like hour and a half. I actually really like enjoyed digging through the trenches and like fighting all that stuff. Um, admittedly, yeah, it probably could have been like a big field and like been that, that probably in hindsight could have been better, but I, I still actually really enjoyed that, that final like hour and a half. And um, I thought the fight with Odin was, was pretty solid. All sure. the boss fights I've enjoyed so much. The, and the for Odin me, fight in particular was very cool because mm -hmm. like it wasn't just like there was like a lot more movement with it. It was like a little bit more like there's like more running around and stuff. We, we can get into that when we get into gameplay. Yeah. But I, I did want to touch on one last point about story. Matt said it a little bit at the beginning. The pacing. 
I did have a huge issue with the pacing of the story within this game. I, I think it was like beyond the character motivations that I talked about here. I think the pacing was one of the most weak parts of, of what we saw with this game. Like, dude, I, I mean, when you go to Ironwood and you're on a yak for like 90 minutes, like, come on. Like that was, that was crazy. It was like the game pumped the brakes all the way like it was like we went from zero to uh, 60 to zero like instantly and then like there, i remember the even the part like the game does this thing where there's a really cool plot point there's a twist there's a turn a new character is introduced and all of a sudden it, it just goes to zero very quickly like brock dies tear is odin holy shit let's go hunting and i was like what like why like why are we going hunting right now i just that that like little point was like kind of exemplary of like how it exemplified what i think the game's biggest sin is which is there's just some filler in there that shouldn't be there the game should just be trying to go at 100 miles an hour at all times in my opinion i mean the game is you, basically 90 percent like naruto filler if you want to if you want players to just like take a break, they have the ability to do these side quests, but don't put them in the main story, right? Like the hunting could have been like a side quest thing. I I understand what it was trying to do. It was trying to like have a little bit of an emotional reaction to Brock's unexpected death, but it just failed for me. It just like it pumped the brakes on a really high emotional point to to just like pull us away to something else. And I just, I don't know that didn't hurt. That didn't hit very well. And I don't know. I Highlight, what disagree with, I honestly disagree with that because that was a huge revelation. And that's at least with this certain point, like that was a huge revelation. I think emotional beats need time to breathe. And it's hard to do that. I think in a game, cause I also think it would have been weird. It's like, Oh shit, all this happened. Like, let's go. Like, I think, it needed, like I think there, there literally needed to be some quiet to actually wrestle with like, oh shit, like we were fooled for like up until that point, 15 hours of main story or whatever. Um, Atreus's process seemed the weight of his decisions because everything that, like a lot of the themes up until that point is, Atreus is going to do what Atreus wants to do and he wants to cover his own path. But in doing so, like these are the real consequences. Yeah. I thought the hunting scene worked well after that, like the force hunting, because it wasn't a lot going on. So I felt like as a, the player, like I had a chance to kind of breathe and ruminate on it instead of jumping straight into the next conflict, which yeah, to me, I, I had the piece. I had the opposite. I was just like, dude, well, like I'm very angry. This was a crazy beat. Like a big truth was just revealed. Why are we stopping? That was like my reaction to it. And it's like, I think literally... Brock dies, less than 10 minutes later, you're hunting in another realm and you're in the snow. And then Atreus says, I just can't stop seeing it. As if like Atreus, like it's been living in his mind, in his dreams over and over. He says this line that makes it sound like he's been processing it for a long time, like he's an old old man or something like that. That, that to me was just like, it was too close. It was like, there was more time between like you can, I feel like you can breathe without like doing like it, the objective literally says like hunting for solace, go hunting. It was just like this forced, like main storyline objective to like go hunting. I just, I don't know. I, I, that one didn't work for me. I know it's very specific and it doesn't last that long, but the game does have these moments where it, it does that, where 
the pacing just gets thrown off. I mean, can you admit that like the Ironwood thing was yeah. shitty? Not shitty completely, yeah, no. but like we the pacing of Ironwood and I'll agree with you on a lot of other points. Like something happens or like when you conclude like one of like the the path chapters and you could choose to move on to the next one or Mimir would just be like, Hey brother, let's go on an adventure. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there's moments I was yeah. like, bro, what? Like that's what you want to do right now. It's like go back to Sword of Lime. That makes no yeah. sense. Uh, yeah. So I agree. Like for most of it, there was interesting pacing things and, you know, I'm going to call back to like what Matt said. And I agree completely. It is kind of funny. Like you have these intense, beautiful two hours and then it's like, okay, let's like jog around like the, the riverside of Swartalfine for a minute. So, yeah, yeah. so I agree completely. There was a lot of pacing things. And I added that to my nitpick list, albeit there's not too many. But I think like certain moments, it really did work for me. Like the moment we're disagreeing on right now. Okay. I want to I wanna call to a few more points really quickly as well. Um, just things that I thought were really, well, a couple things I thought were really whack was one, the whole thing with the Treus and the the giant souls I thought was really weird. And I'm blown away. He took like a giant soul that was apparently at peace and put it into some random fucking snake. Like Pilot, you're telling me you're telling me that giant is happier in that snake now. I, I guarantee you that giant was at peace, probably sleeping, whatever, like in some bliss or something. And then it wakes up and he's like, Well, I guess I'm a fucking snake now. Was that a side quest highlight? Did we miss that? Does the snake come back? The snake is Jormanander, the world serpent. What? Yeah, what? that's the world serpent. But the world serpent was in the main storyline before that. So, okay, this might be one of those instances, like if you have an, like some Norse mythology knowledge, like the myth of the world serpent, so like a normal Norse mythology, Loki, I think, gives birth to Jormanander. Okay, don't quote me on that. Um, but <laughs> the snake fights Thor at Asgard, that's the giant that snake. That was a and tiny then, snake. <laughs> but it grew. Anger Boda mentions like, oh, you wouldn't believe it. Like this snake is like growing like at like this crazy no, like, rate. No, but and then, that snake was in the first game and it was Yeah, tiny. so, was so let me then. finish. Let me finish. Okay, I'm sorry. So the snake grew to a size where it also was part of the siege on Asgard. It's fighting Thor. And then in, in both Norse mythology and in the game, Thor pretty much waxes so hard it like sends him back in time. So the world serpent we meet is that same snake that was sent back in time in Ragnarok. And this event happens in the actual like Norse mythology. So don't blame the game for this writing. Blame the Scandinavians. No, I will blame the game because it made it a point and expected us to know that for that point to make sense. That's a total sin. But it's all <laughs> that's, that's no, but it's that's also in the lore okay, of the game that's... like that's shared like between the two games too. Like all the shrines in the first one highlight like the main beats of like Norse mythology that informs the world. If I, you can't inform the world well enough through the game, it's I let me let me be clear about how I feel about this. I, I I do like when a game does offer to expand the story and expand the world through additional exploring and through additional going out of your way to read like text you pick up, whatever it may be. But if you can't, if the game can't be explained enough through just the main storytelling that every player is forced to experience to where like it leaves out plot points that big, that's just bad storytelling. Hang on. I'm, I don't hate this. I don't hate Hylet's explanation to the world serpent. I actually think it's kind of, you had no idea before no, I didn't explain that I, though. I don't, I don't hate it. I think my perspective on this is like, how is it good 
for a story to require a story that's not itself to explain its story, right? Like I know this is like already existing mythology that we're playing off of, but it's also not. It's also like God of War. It's also like a story that exists within itself. So the only way to know what you said, I mean, effectively what you just said to highlight is an Easter egg. It's just an additional thing that if you're a mythology nerd, then you get it. If you're not a mythology nerd, it fails for you. It doesn't, yeah. it's just not a plot point that will ever make sense. And like me and Matt don't read, we've never read Norse mythology and we don't like follow that. And like, it, unless we read, <laughs> uh, unless we read like, you know, another book or watched a YouTube video on like another complete source, we would never understand it. So I think it's just this like, it's not in this zone that that Matt's comfortable with. Right. I I think I'm I'm maybe more of a middle ground thing. I typically don't like an Easter egg heavy type of thing. I just think that's probably that to me is probably just a fun little thing, like a fun little reference. To be honest, I kind of forgot about the snake until like it just got brought up like five minutes ago. I know <laughs> we complained about it earlier, Matt, when we were like FaceTiming like a, a week ago. And I did think it was kind of ridiculous back then. Um, but now I'm kind of just like laughing it off, I think. Or I'm just like, geez. I mean, it's still whack to me that Atreus just like doomed a giant to a snake. Like, no, but that happened no in the in the lore. That actually happened, Matt. That actually is well, what happened. I think the way it happened in God of War only happened the way it did in God of oh, War. Oh, wait. So did did the Greek God of War come over to the Norse God of War as well <laughs> in that in that mythology? Fuck, my bad. Oh, no, eventually. <laughs> wait, so Loki. I but I guess my I, rebuttal I, is I, I, with exploration. I, I like, of, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, I'm I'm getting fired up. I, <laughs> if I if I knew that point, I would think it's a lot cooler. But I didn't know that point, and I guarantee you, I'm I, I feel relatively confident saying a lot of other players that went over their head too. All I'm going to say is this is lore that was also not as like as, that was established within the game. Um, it might be Easter eggy, but the game, and maybe this is defined as bad game design, depending on who you are. But the more you explore, the more you're rewarded with more of the, you know, the universe and what's going on within it. In God of War 1, if you're paying attention to the shrines, like they go over the, like that myth of the world serpent. And there's all a few times, so I think especially in the first one, Mimir notes like, oh, like he's familiar with you or something. Like there was a familiarity between the serpent and Atreus. So I also okay. feel like when you play the second okay. one, it's like, that's why they're familiar. Because Atreus gave birth to the world serpent. And Loki in Norse mythology gave birth to the world serpent. Don't quote me on that one. I might have to okay, do a okay, quick research on All right, last, last thing on story, then what we can call it a little bit. Um, how, how do we reconcile this prophecy, is it true, is it not true, like theme with the story in this game? Because to me, I'm just not a big fan of it. Uh, like you, in one prophecy, Atreus di or Kratos dies, and another one, he's king, or he's like worshipped as a god. Why, mechanically speaking, story-wise, they're they contradict each other, and why do they both exist? How can they both exist? Why? How do we reconcile this? I mean, I don't. It, it kind of makes the whole idea of of prophecies fail. I know that prophecies are a huge thing in the God of War franchise in general, and there's a lot of like kind of conversations about like how do we change our own destiny? Oh, you can't, but you clearly can. Or one of those things is wrong. So what is it? I mean, how do we how do we reconcile that highlight? So I'm going to be honest because I think in the game it talks about prof. They mention like Kratos is 
dealings with prophecy and the fates like in the Greek era. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the answer I gave to myself back then when I was playing God of War 2. Kind of turn off your brain and don't think too hard about it a little bit. You what? Um turn off your brain a little bit and don't think too hard about it. Okay. Um, just, but that is a cop out. That is a cop out. Um yeah. I mean I think prophecy is tricky in anything. Like to me, prophecy is equivalent to time travel. Like once you introduce these things that are bound by destiny and kind of time and things like that, we're walking into a whole bunch of just random shit and mess. For me, I think, I'm not saying the game did a, did a good job of kind of skirting this or copying out, but when you visit the Norns in Midgard, uh, they like made it, they mentioned like, prophecy is low key like bull crap. And the reason why we can believe in prophecy or assume it's true is because the characterizations of these folks like is so predictable to a point, you can kind of spell out what's going to happen. So for me, I was like, okay, that's how they're kind of side skirting that and that's cop out. But I think even the game itself towards the end is like, fuck prophecy. We're going to do things because we make that decision too. So instead of doing things because someone else like is enacted this agency, they're going to act with their own sense of agency. And if it winds up being what was prophesized, it is what it is. And that's kind of where I'm leaving it at. It's But, but at the very end, Kratos sees a prophecy and like is kind of emboldened like, by it a little bit. Or there's an implication that he's like emboldened by it because he views himself as he sees that he's worshipped as a god, which is like another recurring theme about how sure. Kratos is a god who's never actually been loved or worshipped. And sure. I found that very, very interesting as like a dynamic, but it just, the fact that he sees it as prophecy was like. The fact that it it moves him after the whole game has basically been like, fuck prophecy, we're going to do what we want. And then the sees a prophecy and goes like. Emotionally, he sees a oh, prophecy then he's like. But, a good yeah. light. Yeah. But I think what was really impactful is that he got to the end of that prophecy and that quote unquote happy ending without it told to him that it's going to happen. Like this kind of reminds me of like Endgame where. You know, when Doctor Strange was like, you know, if I told you what happens, it may not happen. Um, when he was like foretelling like what's going to happen. That's kind of how I took that as is. If Kratos knew he was going to be revered, then I don't know how that would have played out. But Kratos made these actions because to him, they were organic. It was him enacting, you know, his agency. He was doing things for what he thought was the right reasons. And he got to the end and saw the prophecy. And I think he was like, all my choices led to this outcome. I can feel good about this. Okay. And that's okay. what I, I took can, it as. I think maybe I can buy this if we view it as like, if you, if you know what your prophecy is, then you will fulfill it. Cause I think the one of Kratos dying was actually maybe Atreus was trying to protect him the whole time because in his heart, he knew that if Kratos mm -hmm. knew it, then it would happen. But if he did not know it, then there was a chance that it couldn't happen. So maybe, maybe the impression I got from that was, I thought it was depicting a future, not like a, present this is where you're at now well i think um, yeah, i thought it was when they were just going like a cliffhanger into, for the sequel i think well there's gonna be a sequel but i don't think it's gonna be kratos for me i think that was more like kratos is celebrated not necessarily like teasing something else and the other detail towards the end is anger Boda notes that these were phase prophecies so you know, the figure that gave Kratos comfort in the past and the figure that Kratos is grieving over, like the one he loved the most saw the best in him when he was like not at his best. And then at the end, I felt like that. Oh, my God. What am I trying to say here? 
Like he was able to see how his wife truly saw him at the end. Like his wife foresaw that he was going to be revered God of peace or God of some, something that wasn't war. But is he revered at the end? Like, what I think that's that what it's so signaling. Great? Like it's going to revere because in Groh's prophecy and Groh's prophecy in the beginning, when they go into, I think the first shrine with Tyr and they reveal like, you know, Odin's working off a false prophecy. Uh, Cause that prophecy showed that once Odin and Asgard fall, the rest of the realms live in peace and prosper. So I think it was connecting back to that. Like Kratos was a general and the champion of that war with Odin now out of the picture, if Groh's prophecy comes true, which we're, I think we're supposed to be inclined to believe because those events happen, the realms will prosper in the near future because they don't have Odin in the picture anymore. So that's why I think he's revealed okay. as, this, as like that figure at the end. Okay, I gotcha, I gotcha. Okay, well, we spent a lot of time on story. Um, this I knew also, I knew we'd have a lot of shout out to Sindri at the end, just smashing. Odin. Yeah, <laughs> shout out to Sindri for, for, for Sindri. actually being the one yeah. to kill Odin. Oh, uh, last thing we need to discuss any further, but I really enjoyed how Sindri reacted to Brock's death and how he me too angry he was. I thought that was really good. Me too, Sindri. Sindri's awesome. Sindri was really really cool in this game. Um, okay, cool. So we can move on finally out of story and world. Um, I think that's by far going to be our biggest segment on this one. Um, but just want to move on to art style. Here real quick. I'll, I'll begin. You know, it, if you played 2018 God wait, of War... This... Wait, did we talk about game design at all, Lucas? Oh, I'm sorry. We did skip over game design. My bad. Did, yeah. um, we'll, we'll go there. So I, I'll start with game design. Um, so I, I... Man, this game has very similar problems that we talked about with 2018 in terms of combat, um, specifically, which is... Dude, there's just the skill tree. It's just like... Ultimately, I played on the regular difficulty, and I think I, I did play on. There's five difficulties. There's like basically very easy, easy, medium, hard, very hard. Um, I played on medium pretty much for eighty percent of the game, and I played on hard for a good amount of the game just to kind of check it out. And when you're playing on hard, you actually do have to use like interesting combos. You have to kind of min max a little bit, do all these things. But I, I counted. There's three skill trees for two different characters specs with specific abilities on those skill trees there's three spartan rages each that you can upgrade an amulet a perk system three different pieces of armor three weapons each with two each with a handle on them two runic attacks per weapon a shield and a ron for the shield all for me to mostly spam r1 and r2 while i'm playing on medium difficulty and block with a fat shield and that's cool i think that one of the the things about this game is if you a lot of the customizations are pretty extraneous and very unnecessary if you're playing on what most people will be playing on medium, easy, very easy, or cinematic mode, whatever. Like all these other things are nice to haves. They're really cool, but I just don't think that they're worth exploring unless you're playing on a harder difficulty. When I was playing on a harder difficulty, yeah, like I needed to kind of maximize my combos. I might even test out some combos in that one zone of the game where you can just do some practice arena type stuff. Um, but for the most part, it was it just came down to me being a little bit more spammy than I would have wanted it to be. Um, and not to say that that's not super fun. I mean, I did that in God of War 2018. Um, and once you got some heavy runic attacks, it got pretty cool because you were able to kind of like you basically had like six cooldowns. Oh, I forgot. You, you also had like a, a another. We had a seventh cooldown if you pushed L1 circle. If you. Um, yeah, I, I think that's the, the, um, the relic. 
Yeah, the relic. You had a relic the too. Relic, so you yeah. had like all these customization options. So it, it did feel like at one point I was min-maxing a WoW character and I just said, okay, whatever has the highest number, just pick that. I just like got really lazy with it and it was fine. Um, but it, it's just, it was too many, like, it was just too much stuff to, to look at. Uh, especially when it didn't exactly make a difference for most of the difficulty choices in this game. So that was my big thing with the systems in the game. Uh, combat was cool, very streamlined compared to the old game. A lot of environmental stuff that I thought was really fun. Um, I like that you can jump from a high height and slam on people. That was fun. Um, and yeah, I like, you know, I like the different shields and different abilities associated with like parrying and things like that. I tried all, I tried all that kind of stuff out. Um, I, I would say it, this wins a most improved combat award. Um, because, you know, without kind of the relative point that we had with God of War 2018, I think a lot of this stuff would have not been as spicy, like would have been as cool or added as much depth to it because you're kind of thinking for the first two hours, like, oh, they added that. Oh, whoa, we can do that now. It's just like, there's this whole idea of it's coming from someplace else. So I don't know. It's, uh, that's, that's kind of my general critique on, on game design there. Um, highlight, what do you think? Honestly, I agree with a lot of the things you were saying. I liked the additional things you can do, like the jumping. I like the triangle was more of like an elemental button. So if you had your axe, you could do like additional frost damage and a different variation of the attack on his skill mm -hmm. tree. And same with the blade. So I thought they added a lot of cool nuance. And the combat for me was a lot more fun than the first one. And maybe I'm against the grain for the first game. But I thought the combat in the first game was fine. Like I enjoyed it. It mm -hmm. served its purpose. It's a revolutionary note, but I enjoyed it for what it was. And I think the more tools and essentially like toys they gave the gamer to play with i enjoyed but my criticism is right in line with yours one like it was easier to kind of keep well in my opinion is a little easier to kind of keep track of like all your runic stuff and your relics but like all they did with the system was they took them from here and then they moved it over there like that patrick meme like it was still the same <laughs> system at the end of the day and in a lot of the fights i played on the medium difficulty if I wanted to play with the toys, I could, but I found myself, if I was going, if I was struggling a little bit more than I like expected, I defaulted back to using like the fast combo and then maybe yeah. like the R2 finisher. So I think the game where it could have done more is really encourage playing with all the tools you have and like with certain bosses or certain areas. Uh, cause for the most part, you didn't have to vary if you didn't want to, I personally wanted to, so I, I tried to explore and like gold out all the, all the different like attacks and combos and things like that. But again, even for me, I went back to the default combo cause it's what worked well and what got me past, yeah. you know, half the berserkers. Yeah. Um, I didn't like it. The game, the, the combat really. It's uh, a big issue I had was with the skill tree and like all the upgrades you can get or whatever. It, like, I'm not trying to play Mortal Kombat, you know, I don't have to memorize all these like evade back R1, 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 L. Like, uh, it, it was just way more complicated than it should have been in my mind. And I, I really didn't think any of the upgrades were that interesting. And frankly, I don't think a lot of the way the changes they did make to combat are even worth praise. Um, I don't think it's impressive that after four years they had the realization to add you should be able to smash after you jump off of something, you know? 
Uh, adding adding variety to the shields, I do like that. Um, the relics, some of the relics are kind of fun, but largely to me, this game is just this. It's just you know, it's like how Call of Duty year over year reskins. Combat wise, that's all this is to me, really. Um, just kind of a reskin of the first in many ways. I, I did enjoy playing as Atreus. I will say that. I thought Atreus was a. I I enjoyed the Atreus, barring when we're in Ironwood. I enjoyed the Atreus like combat portions. I really liked turning into a wolf. I wish there would have been more opportunities to turn into a bear. You only get that one at the end. But I wish in the same way that, um, in the same way that uh, Kratos had the different like Spartan rages you could utilize. I wish there was something similar for um, Atreus Mm -hmm. where you could turn into a a bear or you could turn into a wolf or turn into a T-Rex. I don't know. Um, (laughs) I would have appreciated some more variety there. Um, I I did like that they had the kind of difference in the Spartan rages there. I thought that was cool. But the coolness was overshadowed by just how stale everything felt to me for the most part. Yeah. I think what could have made, like, I think when the combat was at its best was when one better there was better enemy variety in this game which i thought was really 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 great they needed that yeah um but also enemy weakness enemy weakness variety i think they needed to lean into that a little bit more in combat i think the game was the most fun when you had you were fighting a guy that was weak against the blades of chaos while fighting ranged people that you wanted to probably shoot or throw the javelin at right so you had to kind of like balance certain enemies weaknesses against switching weapons like to me switching weapons was way more fun than the combo game i think switching between weapons and balancing cooldowns was like that's probably the wow player in me just getting really stoked um i find balancing cooldowns to be like a really fun thing to do as a player uh and i think when god of war is doing that it's it's really fun but if it just comes down to like here's your skill tree here's your extra now move on your combo that you got to learn that's just if it is like matt said like a little bit more mortal combat-y like fighting game which is just not really quite what i'm here for what i really like in my games as much um so i think that's that's when the game was definitely doing better by me for the combat one more point i do want to throw out because i i was thinking about the first game one thing i think the game did do a little bit better of is it did limit your companions like effectiveness for a lot of stretches. Cause I remember in the first game, Atreus just spams electric arrows and like you're golden yeah. and you could do whatever you want. This one, I think by not having that many op, I don't know if it's options or just the way they reworked the companion, the companion wasn't as OP. So I did appreciate that. I couldn't just spam my companions abilities and get through half the fight. I still had to do the lake work and I couldn't rely on electric arrows essentially to save myself. So I did appreciate that. Like it was a more subtle change, I think, but I did notice it when I was fighting the harder bosses. Yeah. Yeah. No, good, good call out there. Um, all right. Uh, are we cool to move on to art style here? Sure. All right. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll start, you know, I thought it was pretty good. If you've played 2018 God of war, um, you're pretty much going to find, um, more of the same here improved upon. I think in terms of fidelity, um, it just looks great. You know, it's a very high fidelity. The textures look good. Um, some of the physics in the game, I think during the cutscenes, um, there's just a little bit of a lack of it. Like, I think, like, for instance, like Kratos' beard, 
Like there was some collision and clip stuff during like very serious cutscenes, which was a little distracting. So there's a few like physics, hair type, minute things um, that just aren't, aren't quite there yet. But in terms of like, you know, the way it feels like a handheld camera still like hits really hard. And I really, really like that. The way it still feels super cinematic, really, really great. Um, and um, again, like I said, it's it's a fidelity thing. I don't I don't think the art direction in the game is particularly creative. I think it just kind of feels like a great, you know, generic fantasy type of art style. It's not like some cool, unique take on things. It's kind of just lowest cons denominator, un unhateable love by as many people it can be loved by in terms of art style. Um, what do you what do you guys think? I'll go ahead and go. I agree with a lot of that. Um, I don't think it was revolutionary in you know, how it portrayed the realms and the environments, but I thought everything was gorgeous regardless. One thing I did appreciate is going from the 2018 game to this one, the there was a difference in all of the realms and each realm did have kind of its own unique flavor. And the realms that we spent a lot of time in did get reworked to still feel distinct enough, even from the first game and between the realms and in this game. So Midgard, I really liked how Fimble Winter looked and how everything was like decrepit and eroding. And I thought that looked gorgeous. Uh, being on top of like the wall in Asgard and looking out, like I was like, holy shit. Yeah, is, I, I stood there for gorgeous. a second. That was cool. I did too. Um, so I think, yeah, the game's not doing anything revolutionary without depicting things, but it did it really well. And I did feel like I was immersed in at least the realms enough for me to exist and play in it. Yeah, uh, I, I think I agree with most of that. Um, I, I really liked how the, well, I mean, they had to do this because snow everywhere would have got pretty boring, but I did appreciate how Fimble Winter kind of hit everything a little bit differently, you know? Yeah. Um, They're talking about how like, oh, you know, it's here Fimble Winter affects like like these geysers or something or here from winter effects. Um, and I forget, but like I had a different take on each, each, uh, realm, which I thought was fun. Uh, I like the character designs. And I mean, I, I, it's not like super creative, a lot of the stuff, but I really do appreciate the attention to detail. For example, like the attention to detail, just like, Oh, I can see each individual strand of Kratos's beard. And then I can see his pores, like little things like that are, always kind of impressive to see and it's just seeing like how realistic some games can get um and i really i really liked thor's character design yeah i loved thor's character design i think that was a huge highlight like for sure i saw there's a there's a meme i saw that was like the jealous like girlfriend meme where like yeah. the boyfriend's walking by and he's like looking at the other girl and the other girl that he's looking at is thor from this game and the girl he's with is thor from marvel and I was like, yeah, doesn't that just kind of say it all? It's just like this version of Thor, I don't know. I Do you guys think this interpretation of Thor is better than Marvel Thor? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I agree. I, I, like I, no, I, I, I mean, 100% agree. I think it's just like he's kind of dirtier, like he's grimier, <laughs> you know, and like just his stature, like he just feels like a unit, you know, his tattoos, it's like. Fuck yeah. I don't know. It's just more metal. It's super cool. Did you, I did. I did. did you think, guys like just jump back to the story real quick. Yeah. I, I, I did think it was like, 
I, I didn't quite understand why he was a drunk. Was he always a drunk or like what initiated him being drunk in that bar? Like, was he just upset at Odin? What was going on there? I think he just had a history with alcoholism and he like fell back into it when Odin ripped him a brand new one. So I think okay, like from what you pick up in conversations with like Sif and Throod is that he like kind of has a recursive alcoholic cycle. Like he'll do it for okay, a while, yeah. he'll he's stop, just, and then he's just an something triggered. I think so. He's an alcoholic. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I, I like, I, I think it was just, it's probably one of those things where if you know that within the mythology, like the Norse mythology of Thor, it probably makes sense. But for me, it just, the alcoholism kind of came out of nowhere and you're getting to a bar fight and like waste it's just kind of ruined the pacing with the bar fight again. I didn't. I, I felt like that was a little bit of a miss for me, as well. Um, but we're not talking about story anymore. Uh, all right, let's talk about uh, sound design. Uh, how do I feel about the sound design? I loved all the voice performances. I don't think anyone had a bad voice performance. Um, I particularly really enjoyed Sindri when he's laying it into them about how like you've taken everything from me. I've given you everything and all you've done is take and I'm left with nothing. That little speech was really impactful. That I was thought. awesome. Um, but yeah, I loved all the voice actor performances as far as the soundtrack. Like it is very good, but it didn't feel as impactful to me as it did in the first game. The only time I really like to distinctly remember the soundtrack mending with the game in a way that I remember is I think when Thor first appears, it has like the, the God of War, like the dawn, like when you know, you know, what I'm talking, I don't know how to, I can't, I know, you're, you talking, know yeah, I mean. I know you're talking about, <laughs> yeah. Um, and that really stuck with me because I was like, oh shit, it's about to get real. And again, that uh, goes to my earlier point of this game opened so fucking strong. Um, so that's really all, all I have on that, but you know, yeah, love, a, I, I, love a good grunt from three to three Kratos. Kratos. Yeah, no, I like it too. Uh, vocal performances are just amazing. All the acting is really, really great. You know, shout out to the mocap team and, you know, I'm looking forward to see whatever behind the scenes stuff they have for this as it comes out, just like I did with God of War 2018. Um, yeah, you know, beyond that, I think um, the sound design for the combat is really great. Like when you perfect parry something, it just feels really good. Um, you know, all the weapons have really unique sounds to them, blades of chaos, you know, your axe, uh, the javelin itself that you end up getting or the, the spear, sorry. Um, and yeah, I, I just think they did a, a really solid job, um, with the sound design. It's kind of, um, it's kind of perfect. I think sound design, like we talk about on this podcast, every game sort of has to have perfect sound design. So it's an obvious 10 out of 10, um, on this one, but there is a little bit of a higher floor that you have to have for the sound design for God of War because, it, there's all this acting in it. There's all this like yeah. true, you know, it's beyond sound design. It's actually like voice act, like tons of voice acting and stuff like that, um, which we always throw into sound design. But there's another dimension here, of course, with all that kind of stuff. So yeah, highlight, what do you think? I'm pretty much in the same vein as you guys. Like the, the score and the music, it's still strong. It's I think the same person, Bear McCreary, that um, scored it. And mm -hmm. the main theme's yeah. awesome. Mm -hmm. The one... Even though a lot of things were familiar, I think there was one track or motif that stood out to me. And I think it was for Atreus. So it was like, it kind of sounded like it has like backpipes playing. It's like, and it's kind of like the da-da-da, da-da-da. So it's like, I kind of liked, I really liked that addition to the soundtrack because since Atreus is kind of younger and more plucky, I think they did a really good job giving him his own theme and motif throughout. 
Um, how how old is he supposed to be in this? I don't think it's explicitly stated. I think it's just yeah. teen. I, I got like a fourteen, maybe fifteen yeah. vibe. I got fourteen. Teens. Old, old yeah. enough to rebel. Oh, rebel and know yeah. what's good yeah. for yourself. Big yeah. theme. Big yeah. theme there. But I thought like his um, theme like reflected out really well, like that energy. And I loved the voice acting. I mean, the 2018 one was super strong. And this one, it was really cool seeing characters from the first one be given like a lot more to work with. Cause like for me, yeah. like some of the dialogue that hit me like outside of Sindri the hardest was those intimate conversations between Kratos and Freya. Where Freya's like, you'll never understand what it's like to lose a child. And then Christopher Judge goes into like the history of Kratos like, actually I have. And then, like, you, they have, like, this big somber. I, I killed my own. Yeah, yeah. Like, I killed my child, like, without knowing it. And, like, you know, that's, like, really heavy stuff. So I think the voice cast did a great job, grapple, like, the returners grappling with really expanded characters compared to the 2018 one. And all the newcomers I thought were solid. Like, I think I mentioned earlier, like, Odin, I was sold on Odin because of how he was also played out, not just because of the story. Um, and Thor, like, Thor's voice actor, I thought was so perfect for the depiction. He was great. Like that deep, that rumbling. Like when he walks in, he's like, are you a calm and reasonable man? I was like, oh shit. Like, yeah, you could feel that like, that was, you could feel like a great opener. Like pun unintended, you could feel the thunderous energy behind that voice <laughs> when Thor is there. And like one of my nitpicks it, it is- It just we, commands respect. It does. And like one of my nitpicks is we needed more Thor. Like he was oh, such yeah. a good foil to Kratos and like how he was depicted and how he grapples like with his, you know, position in the Aesir hierarchy or whatever. And really, just really quick. Go for it. Or, well, I just wanted to kind of clarify the family tree a little bit if I can. Um, so B- Balder was the son of Odin and Freya, right? Oh uh, yeah. Yes. Who's who's, who's Thor's, Thor's mom? I don't yeah. think we know. I don't sure. think in the game we know. I don't. So I the think, only like confirmed child of Freya's was Balder. Uh, I believe so. Wasn't didn't Balder have a brother in the previous game? That no, there Thor's was the Thor's two sons. I oh yeah, Thor's remember? Top, yeah, yeah, sorry, okay. Thor's two sons were in it. Yeah, but. Um, mm-hmm. Like Magnus and Yeah, Bader. I don't think I don't think we know Thor's mom or if Freya had another son. I don't think she did have another I son. I don't think Freya's the mother. Because that would have been such a huge story beat too. Of I Thor? think I remember yeah. a con yeah, Thor. Um I think I remember a conversation somewhere where Thor is of giant lineage. So maybe it's hinted a giant oh, is his mom. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know like the yeah. context if, you know, Odin took a giant against her will, or there was a previous <laughs> marriage before yeah, Freya, yeah. or anything. But I think, yeah, Thor's yeah, mom think, might have been from the giant side. Um, yeah, I do recall that now. Okay, let's move on because um, we're we're taking up uh, quite a bit of time here. This is a, this is a long episode. Um, it's a long NPC game. award. All uh, yeah, it's a long game. I'll, I'll start with the NPC award. Um, I'm going with Sindri. Okay, I I loved Sindri. I think we all loved him. I think he had really a really amazing performance. I think he had to got he had to he got to get a lot of really awesome emotional beats. There was like a lot of humor in his character. He he had a very dark like bottom. You know, he had like really great highs. He built a lot of amazing stuff like he always does. And then he just that moment where he's so angry um 
and you know he kind of disappears with Brock's body. And there's also this kind of guilt subplot going on with Sindri, where you know he's kind of grappling with the fact that he did something in his past with Brock's soul. Um, so there's that whole thing. Um, and I also lo just loved his relationship with Atreus. I feel like he was like the older friend that like buys you beer um, outside. Like <laughs> Atreus is the high school kid, and like Sindri's like the like 21 year old guy that like is like buying him beer and he like knows that he shouldn't, but he's like, okay, like I'll go with you. We'll just do this one thing. But like, dude, we like, we can't do this anymore. <laughs> like kind of, kind of vibe to Sindri. Um, so I really liked the fact that he was like sort of an accomplice to Atreus's rebellion stage while being an adult, while being like a true adult and like bringing value to the table to the actual group. So um, NPC award right there. I'm going with Freyr, uh, Freya's brother. <laughs> he had no screen time. <laughs> I liked him. He was a he was a Chad. I really, if never, he's just like a Chad, just like a fun dude, just like a a fun, chill, hot dude, just vibing, you know, rebelling against Odin. And uh, I liked his comedic relief that he brought. Um, and yeah, I don't know why. I just really appreciate it. <laughs> he was definitely like, the Sokka of the group. He exactly. Yeah. He is the Sokka of the group. That's that a good comparison, dude. Yeah, that's what that's I felt like he told us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Highlight, who you got? Um, so my first was Sindri, um, for all the reasons you said. <laughs> and the one thing I do want to throw out that I thought was really cool with like how they just like depicted Sindri. After Brock dies, Sindri didn't care about cleanliness because he always wore the big ass gloves and was like very like, like, I'm not gonna oh, be bothered. Cool. But when he was carrying Brock and pretty much whenever you see him after that scene, he's drenched in Brock's blood and his hands were uncovered. So I thought that was a cool, like subtle, like depiction of like how much Sindri just lost it. Like, cause that was such a huge wow. part of his identity. Yeah. So I, so I want to throw that out there. Cause I thought that was cool. But my NPC award goes to Thor, just the way he was depicted, nice. the powerfulness behind the performance, you know, arguably I thought he was the cooler villain um for like yeah. the game itself if you can call him um, a villain if if you would if, if, you if, would, if would give him from the position of us playing as a protagonist by default i guess he's one of the villains um yeah yeah by relationship and i also just really like the characterization because they could have just as easily made him like a drunk brute for any time we saw him but i really liked yeah. how he was depicted in the muspelheim level and i think the Niflheim level when you're playing with Atreus we're like you can see that he's also grappling with like uh, do I like am I loyal to Odin or am I loyal to like my wife and my like only child left like daughter and like I just mm -hmm. think he was just portrayed really well in that his character had a lot more nuance and I think I would have expected when I first saw him as an absolute unit on the character poster so right, Thor was right. sick um can we talk about Burger for a quick two minutes oh, yeah. our Burger I like, like was there was a that? side quest I missed with that guy? Cause it feels like he Wait, got this. That? He was the guy on the flying ship that just like sacrificed himself. Oh yeah. What the heck? Well, I, I like that. I did not understand that part. I, I feel like I missed a side quest. Cause that was completely lost on me. Like who he was, he got like a little bit of screen time. And then he, his heroic moment was actually longer than the screen time that I got with him. Like, was there more quests with him that I missed? There was a big, um, there was a big quest after that, um, the escape, I guess, from Vanaheim. A huge part of um, Vanaheim opens up called the Crater, 
And one of the side quests is rescuing Birger from dragons. Oh, so, okay. Okay. So when you like come across some, um, you'll learn that, um, you know, the travelers, like the enemy type that you fight against are like, they're super large and like heavily armored. So they're like soldiers of Odin. And he was like, I guess it sounds like he was the only one that broke away from that path of serving Odin. So he's a former traveler. Um, okay. So you learn a lot gotcha. more about him and you get to interact with them more. Um, in that side quest. Gotcha. So that's one of my nitpicks is some of the um, coolest moments in the games were like side quests and not yeah, actually yeah. in the game or um, the main story. Uh, all right. Uh, got, got to keep moving here. So companion piece pick. Uh, I'm just going to go with uh, kind of a funny one here. Uh, I'm going with Thor Ragnarok. Uh, just because, you know, it's uh, wildly inter different interpretations of very you know of the same source material um half of it is the same name as our game here and like i said i think i said this on our 2018 god of war episode you know i think so much of what we view about god of war norse mythology is like really informed by this kind of pop culture interpretation of like thor in the marvel movies and stuff and some of those characters loki is in the marvel movies um and yeah i just i find it very interesting that like we have two separate kind of like pathways that we're taking as a culture to interpret, you know, sort of Norse mythology. Um, it's kind of an interesting moment, I think. Um, I did not see Love and Thunder. I saw like the first like 20 minutes of Love and Thunder and I kind of shut it off because I wasn't that into it. Um, I'm getting the thumbs down. Yeah. From, from Highland. So bad. yeah, I heard it's pretty bad, but Ragnarok, I actually really enjoyed. So uh, I, I, I unironically like that movie. I thought it was really cool. Um, and uh, yeah, I, that's my companion piece pick. Um, Matt, what do you, what do you got? I got the 1994 movie, The Mask. <laughs> oh, because the God it's of Mischief is The Mask, it's, right? In that movie, in that movie, The Mask is like Loki's mask. Wait, is that the mask that we're building in God of War? That's the impression. That's basically, yeah. If it's Holy not, I'm shit. rolling with that theory because I love that. <laughs> so, so Jim put it on, he'd have like on the other side Carrey. of the. Jim Carrey's on the other inside, side of the crack. Inside the crack is Jim Carrey. And when Owen looked into it, he like stabbed him in the eye. That's what happened. Holy shit. Oh my God. But yeah, that's the only reason I'm picking it. So yeah, this game got so much better for me already. <laughs> Highlight, what do you got? Um, I'm going to go with a song, Neil Young's Old Man from 1972. Um, Ooh, good pick, good pick. I'm digging across both games, right? And at the core, even with this one, with it being like this giant grand scale war against, you know, Asgard, the core of the game is the relationship between Kratos and his son and their relationship to each other and their ability to, you know, their ability to understand each other and respect each other as their own individuals. So the song is about, you know, the speaker in the song, he compares his life to somebody that's a father or paternal figure and the speaker is telling the old man like take a look at my life i'm a lot like you i need someone to love me to hold day through one look into my eyes and you could tell that's true and i think Ooh, you know man. what i really like with the conflict is kratos sees a lot of himself in atreus and atreus can see himself becoming kratos but neither of them want to like do that and they want to become their own person so i really just think like that song captures the essence of the father-son relationship and the conflict and them coming to understand each other across the two games. Okay. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Um, 
All right, man. Now I want to listen to that song. Uh, all right. Uh, we're almost done here. Favorite moments. Um, I'll start. It's it's probably going to be Brock's death for me. That's probably the biggest like story beat of everything that happens. Big revelation about Odin, Tyr. Um, it kind of came out of nowhere for me. Loved it. And, um, you know, it kind of just rockets us into that final section of the game and the ultimate climax. So <clears throat> it's sort of that big turning point, like the in in story writing um, or screenwriting, you might call it like kind of lowest point or the denimu um, and something to that degree. And I, I think it is it is that um, that's that's kind of the lowest part of the game for me. So love that. Love that. I got to go with uh, the opening fight with Thor. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Really, that's such a good pick. <laughs> Highlight. What do you got for for me? Um, I'm gonna go the. I played this game for a long time and caught and like caught something that really connected to a past game that I blew my mind in a moment. Crafting the drop near spear, that whole sequence, I thought was really cool on so many levels. Like you mentioned before, Sindri and Atreus had this relationship, but Brock and Kratos also had a relationship. And I think that quest did a really good job kind of mirroring that and it was a cool kind of foil. And then the spear itself is such a clear callback to one of my favorite like games in the series, Ghost of Sparta. And that's where you learn about Kratos' brother and that he did have a brother at birth that was, or he did have a brother, but the brother was kidnapped by two gods that thought Deimos was going to be the one to kill them, but it wound up being Kratos. And one of the weapons in that game was a Spartan shield and spear. So oh. I love that weapon. Like, it's one of my favorite weapons throughout the series. So the fact that like we got a iteration of it back was super cool. And the spear looks yeah. identical. Like it has the flowing red, like band scarf flag thing. Um, in Ghost of Sparta, it was paired with the shield. And obviously in this game, you have a shield. So just having like that cool callback. And the one thing I also really liked that I thought was a cool kind of character moment growth for Kratos in that sequence too, is Kratos as, you know, getting on his knee and revering Brock as a master blacksmith and somebody he respects. Cause we've kind of established Kratos isn't the greatest guy. He's not like, he, he wants to come off as rational, but obviously super aggro makes impulsive, angry decisions. But that right there, I felt like was a really cool human moment where like, he's asking his best, like his dwarf friend to bless his spear. And I just thought like, the music, cool. the representation, yeah. like that was I my like goosebumps moment for for the game for sure. Probably the one of the more human moments from from Kratos that we see. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and I did like when Kratos said, like he said, "Do you know?" Like Brock said, "Like do you even know how to use a spear?" And he said, "The spear is the first weapon that every Spartan yeah. like learns to use." And I was just like, "Oh yeah, that is true." I was like, "I was, I forget." Like yeah, I've seen three hundred. I know that. Um, <laughs> All right, uh, moving on to nitpicks. Um, I, I don't have a ton. I mean, I think we've covered a lot of them throughout the episode too, so we could just kind of go down our lists here. Uh, my main thing is that there is just too many customizing options uh, for your loadouts, armor, and like weapons and things like that, and the pacing in general, um, as I already mentioned. That's, that's really all I got here. Uh, Matt, what do you got? Too much choice. And my biggest issue is honestly just with the story. I don't think the story is very good. All right, highlight. Um, I agree with the pacing I mentioned before. We needed more Thor. And for me, one thing that I keep coming back to is they try to do a post-game thing by like killing the rest of the Berserkers. You face a Valkyrie Queen after the fact. And I just think it's really weird to do all of that 
when you're being celebrated as a figure of like peace and like prosperity and oh. you usher in like a new age for the realms. It's like, cool, we killed Odin. Like, let's kill more things when, <laughs> so I just kind of felt like it's cool to have that content. It should have been part of the main game. So when the credits roll, there's nothing else like to do. Like we have a finally at least achieved like the perfect ending for Kratos. And I think having post-game content really took that away in, in my eyes. Okay. Interesting. Cool. Um, all right. So, um, you know, uh, final conclusive thoughts on the game. We can give our ratings here um, and then we can we can kind of close out. So um, let's we could all say our ratings out of 10 on the count of three. We'll add them up and give it a score out of 30 for this episode. Um, so, all right, let's uh, let's do it, guys. Uh, on after one, okay. three, two, one. Eight. Ten. Six. Dang, we're right. Ooh. We're complete two standard deviations away from each other on each side. Um, yeah, man, Matt, a six. That is Bro. low, dude. That is crazy low. I'm going to revisit some of the six, other pods dude. and see what you scored on those. Because <laughs> a six is. Have you listened to our Super Metroid episode? Not yeah, fair. I think it was fair. that That was pretty low. I mean, I'm still, like I said, I'm still, I'm still. Still talking to my therapist about that episode. Uh, I, I mean, six is crazy low. You'll have to answer to the, you know, you'll have to answer to God for that one. Because I, I, I feel like I don't think this game is perfect. Um, I think it's a really fun game. The phrase I would use, highlight, you can agree or disagree, is I, I think this is an unhateable game. I think this is the game that swoops in at the end of the year. It is it is the Fablemans. It is a Steven Spielberg movie that is sentimental, heartfelt, very good, unhateable. Do not compare it, this to Fablemans. This it's is it's like, it's that it's that it's movie. that kind of game. It's it can it's universally loved. It will be universally loved by pretty much everybody, and that's and that's, that's why the, it's mm -mm, no. It is. That's that's why it's a bad game. That's that that's the that's the Six argument. Six is even a bad score. I I I was kind of this game relative to what I've said in the Six past. Six is a terrible score, Matt. You don't have to. You don't. Dude, you're giving it a D. No, no. If a bad score is below five, like that's a bad score. Six is like a fair score. Dang, Matt. Relative to what I've <laughs> relative to what I've rated other things. Do you know what I do? You know what I did to Jet Set Radio highlight? I destroyed that game. I think you. Know, I never played that game, so I can't speak to that one. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I bro, didn't you give you Cyberpunk give me, like you an eight? This a lower something? score than Cyberpunk. I and I stand by that choice. Um, okay. I think, especially with where Cyberpunk's at today. Anyways, that's neither here nor there. The the game is, it's like polished coal. Like or like polished garbage. I don't know how else to describe it. Like it is unhateable. You're right. Like it is not like I don't hate this game, but I don't think it's a good game. I, I don't think it did anything interesting. I don't think it deserves to even, you know, I think the only big reason people like it so much is like group think. Um, like I think everyone's just so convinced it must be good that so it's good. Um I I I was listening to a Lucas, you sent to me earlier, actually, I was listening to the podcast, uh, Podcast Beyond by IGN, where they were comparing Elden Ring to God of War, and I was just, I couldn't believe they were even talking about them in the same conversation, to be frank. Um, I, I think this game is light years behind Elden Ring in, in most capacities. Um, and I just think it does nothing interesting. I don't think it takes any interesting risks. It plays it so safe that it is boring. 
I, I'm going to agree with some of those. I'm going to agree with the unhateable, no risk thing. Absolutely. For me, it just, that final climax worked for me in a lot of ways. Um, and I, I did, I did have a good time with some of it. I'm not giving it a perfect score. I'm not, I'm, I'm actually well below the Metacritic score. The Metacritic score is 94 out of hundred. I'm giving it an eight. So I'm, I feel like I'm being pretty fair and being pretty, pretty harsh on it. And Matt's being even more harsh than I would be, but highlight, obviously giving it the 10. I mean, you're just, you're visibly, the steam is coming out of your ears, like a cartoon character right now. I'm loving it. Why do you give it a 10 highlight? So I'm just you, were, you had your fair, you had your fair share of critiques as well here. I did, but every game is going to have critiques. Like I challenge anyone to tell me what is a perfect game. And there's going to be things that will not make it perfect. Maybe this is the way I look at Undertale. games. <laughs> TBD. <laughs> but like, have you not played Undertale? I actually haven't. It's on my backlog. Oh, you, you, you should you, check you, it out. You would really enjoy that game. I'll add it yeah. to the list of like 50 games I need to catch up on. <laughs> Right. But like for me, I can see where you're coming from. We are a respectable, you know, group of young men talking games. For me, the biggest scene I'm looking for is emotional payoff. And did the game do everything to make me feel like satisfied and like I can close the book on this? Like one, I couldn't put the game down personally. Like I enjoyed the story. I enjoyed the voice acting and the representation. I still like the combat. I agree with the criticisms, but I had a blast playing it. So that elevates it up. And then for me, I will admit, like, I'm walking in with bias. I grew up with this series since I was in high school. I've devoted, like, a lot of time and attention to this series. So the biggest thing I was looking for is, like, do I get the emotional payoff? And do I feel like we can close the book on Kratos? And I think the game did achieve that throughout the entire like throughout the entire story, the way Kratos and Atreus, his, you know, relationship kind of evolved and left on the point that it did at the end. So I think for all the nitpicks I had, the highs greatly outweigh it. And for me, I'm trying to be like, what can I ask for? Like, can I ask for more in such a way that they can still give it to me in a patch? And I don't think I can ask for more outside of a new game plus, just so I have an excuse to revisit it and play around with it more. Um, and like, I'll throw this out there too. Like Elden Ring deserves its buzz from what I've read, but I played 20 hours of Elden Ring and this is my hot take. I think it's overhyped. I never felt the drive to come back and finish it after 20, 25 hours of playing. And to me, I think that's a big deal. God of War, I couldn't stop. Like I'll play for a couple hours and the next day I'm like, I should put an hour in. Like this is, this is great. So that's why it's a 10. I couldn't, I had a blast. It gave me the emotional kind of catharsis and you know, what I was looking for as a conclusion to, you know, not just a two game saga, but for me, a nine game saga, like this mm -hmm. game had a lot to do in kind of wrapping up the emotional character, well, not emotional character, arc, but like the overall character arc of Kratos from when we first meet him, when he's like in his early twenties and super aggro to being like someone that can be at peace with himself. And if the game couldn't accomplish yeah. that, it would have swan the other way for me. But for me, it did, it did what it needed to do. I'll give it a 10. Awesome. All right. Yeah. Diversity of thought on this podcast is something we embrace. And uh, that about wraps it up for our extra super packed episode. I think this one we're going to end up dividing into two parts here because this is already going to be almost two hours. But um, yeah. before we get going, Matt, where could people find us online if they wanted to debate us? Everyone, as always, you can find us online at TFP Podcast. That's at TFP Podcast with an S at the end. If you go to the link tree and any of those social media handles, you will find a link to our Discord. That is pretty much going to be the best place to reach myself, Hylette, 
and Lucas here uh, coming out. It's a good time. If you want to hang out with your good buddy, Matt, you can find me on Twitter at good idea. Matthew highlight. Where can we find you? Uh, best place to find me is in the discord. I'm there pretty, o- I'm there pretty active. I throw out a wordle every now and again, and I pretty much comment on everything that's going on in there. So Hit me up. Let's talk more God of War. Gain up on Matt for his incredibly hot takes. Um, or gain up <laughs> yeah. on me. Like, you know, I'm down to hear more criticisms and what everyone else thought of God of War when the pod drops. And if you want to connect on my socials and stuff, just hit me up on there and I'd be happy to connect. Awesome. Don't pile up on me because I'm right there in the middle. Can't hate me. <laughs> um, like God of War. Um, cool. If you want to find me on Instagram, follow me on uh, at, at Good Idea Lucas. And of course, I'm always available for conversations in the Discord server. Appreciate everybody that's jumping in there. It's been a been a really awesome time just uh, seeing comments, seeing the activity. Um, and yeah, Matt, Matt and I are playing our next game. We're very excited. Um, hopefully, everybody's getting into the Christmas spirit. I know me and Matt are getting real cozy with Stardew Valley already. Um, so looking forward to giving you guys that for your next episode. All right, I love it. Well, everyone, this has been... Thanks for playing. Catch you next time. Scoobity-bop! Thanks for playing is a production of Good Ideas Only. Your hosts are Lucas Luna and Matt Rockaby. Our music was done by the impeccable Samuel Luna. And our logo design was done by the talented Isaac Palestino. Special thanks to the Roll Call Bunch and Red Circle 